Good morning. Good to see you guys all here this morning. Before we get started, let's do it just do a shout out for those who are watching online, those at the microsites, and especially our Henderson campus, uh, Henderson's uh, Crossing Southeast. Let's give them a big round of applause. Hey to them. Good to see you guys. Glad you guys are all here today. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was uh, buckling one of my grandbabies into their car seat, which is a terrifying experience for me for a couple of reasons. One is I don't have a degree in mechanical engineering, so I'm pretty sure it is not installed correctly at all. And that's a little terrifying. There's like a little blue ball you have to line up just right. And there's all this stuff. It's just, it's really, really hard. And then, but the worst part is when I go to buckle that little latch between their squishy little chubby thighs that clicks and there's like this click. It's a very final click. And I'm just so afraid that one of these days I'm going to just catch that little bit of squishy, chubby thigh in that click. And so it's just, it's, it's, I know, right? It's terrifying. <clears throat> but as, as I was putting all this together, as, as I was putting, you know, one of the babies in their 17-point harness or whatever it was, I, I, I began to think, you know what, parenting has changed a lot since I was a kid. I didn't have a car seat when I was growing up. In fact, I remember being in the car like three or four years old, standing in the back seat with my hands on the front seat, just watching. And nobody thought anything about it. The idea, I guess, being that if, if we came to a sudden stop, my mom would just do one of those. So first airbag, man, right there. To this day, if we come to a sudden stop, my wife does one of those and saves my life. So I'm really grateful for that. Not only would I stand up in the back seat, and some of you guys are going to remember this, but if we would go like on a long, a, a long drive, like a trip or something, they'd get you up really early, and then they would make a bed in the back window. And that's where he's like, who remembers that? Raise your hand, right? What were they thinking? Seriously, people, I am so glad that this generation of parents love their children so much more than my parents loved me. <laughs> I think it's a good thing that we protect our kids. I think it's a good thing that we watch out for them. Although I do think maybe we've taken it a little bit far. Sometimes it seems like it's just going a little too far, this involvement in our kids' life and, and this protection over our kids. There's this thing now called helicopter parents. Have you guys heard about helicopter parents? Yeah, it's like this new generation of parents. They call them helicopter parents because they're always hovering. Always like, are you okay? What's going on? Everything all right? What's going on? You know, over the, over the kid, right? There's like no freedom or anything. And now apparently that has evolved, that they now have drone parents and snowplow parents. No kidding. I was reading an article on it. So drone parents, I guess, are like helicopter parents except more stealthy. I'm not quite sure. More on mission. But, but listen, I was reading an article, and here's what it said about drone parents and, and snowplow parents. It says, drone parenting also has a lot in common with the phenomenon called snowplow parenting. Drone parents anxiously do all they can to protect their kids from the unpleasantness in the world, while snowplow parents actively shove obstacles out of their kids' way to ensure their success. The end goal is the same, to give their kids the world to actively get it for them rather than show them how to go after it themselves. The result, kids who burn out, refuse to try, or fail to bounce back quickly because they don't know how to take a hit from life or they believe or they don't believe that they should ever have to. Have we seen anything like this recently in the news? 
right? You got all, you got all these parents in, in this college entrance ex- a scandal who, who, who snowplowed away for their kids to get into college, allegedly, to get into college. This is being recorded. To get into college, whereas maybe, you know, they wouldn't have, have made any. I mean, they do this. And it's even more than that. I, I read recently of a survey that Michigan State University did with 700 employers who were looking to hire recent college graduates, not high school graduates, recent college graduates. And, it, and, it, and it's very disturbing, the results. Listen to this. Nearly one-third of these, of these employers said that parents had submitted resumes on their child's behalf some without even informing the child. Wow. I mean, I know you want Jimmy out of the basement, but it's a little passive-aggressive. Listen to this. One quarter, again, one quarter of 700, that's a big number, 175, people, 175 employers reported hearing from parents urging the employer to hire their son or daughter for a position. You are a college graduate and your mommy or daddy is calling your employer? Come on, people. Now, this last one, the percentage is very low, but the fact that there's a percentage at all, I find deeply disturbing. 4% of those polled reported that a parent actually showed up for the candidate's job interview. Right? This is crazy. What is happening to us? You know, what is happening to us as parents that, that I, I believe we're taking it a little bit too far that somewhere along the way, we got the idea that the loving thing for a parent to do is to remove all the pain and the struggle from their child's life. Now, if you're a parent, you, know, you can parent any way you want to. That's up to you. But here's why I think we need to have this conversation today. Because I believe that, that unconsciously, many of us have allowed this same attitude to permeate our understanding of how God should interact with us in our circumstances. That we believe that when we are, when we are struggling and during hardship and pain, that God should intervene and fix it because that's what a good parent would do. We want God to be a snowplow parent, don't we? So as we are wrapping up the series we've been doing on Hebrews, today we're going to hear from the author of Hebrews on this topic, and you may be surprised to discover he has a very different opinion. So we're going to kick off today in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're starting with verse 4, and I'll tell you right now, it's a very kind of a cryptic verse, and so just stick with me and I will unpack it for us. It begins this way. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We need to remember that he is writing to a group of people who had recently converted from from Judaism to Christianity. And as a result of that, they were being persecuted and abused, being put in prison, having their property taken away, losing their jobs, their livelihood. It was going really, really hard for them. And what I believe he's trying to do here is, is he's comparing He's letting them know that that what you're going through does not compare to what Jesus went through for you. Now, I don't think he's trying to faith shame them here because nobody, when they're going through hard times, wants to hear, well, somebody has it worse. That doesn't make us feel better. I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think what he's doing here is actually laying the groundwork 
for what he's about to go into. And in the simple sentence, as he is drawing attention to Jesus' journey to the cross, he is reminding them of two very important facts. And I would say, for those of you that are here today, and you're going through a hard time, maybe you're experiencing some loss, some difficulty, financial, relational, physical, that I would suggest that maybe these two points that he's beginning to unpack will be very relevant to you today. I think the first thing that he's trying to let these people know before he deep dives into the rest of his letter is this, that God loves you. That Jesus' journey to the cross, that Jesus chose to go through everything he went through, he chose this journey, that he marched for the joy set before him, he marched to this destiny because it was the only way that he could build a bridge back for us to be in a relationship with God. And so he chose it. How loving is that? We've got to remember that. And the second thing is this. Is that Jesus' journey to the cross reminds us all in our suffering that no matter what you're going through, no matter what hardship, betrayal, physical pain, Jesus has been through that and more. He gets it. He understands that pain. And so when you're calling out to God, he's not, he's not distant and disconnected. He gets it. He remembers what that feels like. And I think it's important that we remember these two facts as we begin to deep dive into the rest of this letter. Here's the next thing that the author says. He says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Let me tell you this, when I read this passage, it messed me up. I had a problem with it. Because I'm remembering that this letter was written to these people who had become Christians and subsequently were being persecuted and abused. And the way I'm reading this letter is going, okay, God is punishing you for something to make you better. I don't, I don't understand that. Why would God punish these people? What did they do? So I began to deep dive the letter a little bit. And I realized that I had brought some of my own baggage into the letter, my own parenting baggage. That when I saw the word discipline, I read punishment. Don't psychoanalyze me. <laughs> and so as I looked at this, as I began to deep dive and look at this word, I was completely wrong. That, that, that word discipline does not mean anything like punishment. In fact, there's another place in Scripture where that exact same Greek word is used. It's just translated differently by the translators. And it's in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That word training is the exact same Greek word that was translated discipline. That there's a different idea. This isn't about punishment. It is this idea of, of education, of training, or instruction. Similar to how you would maybe train an athlete. 
that earlier the writer talks about running the race. And so there's this sense in here of, 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 an, of an athlete training for this race, running through, pushing through the pain, overcoming the obstacles to do well in the race. And that's exactly what's happening here. That's not about punishment. It's about training. As a matter of fact, what I would like us to do is reread that passage and substitute that word discipline for training and see if it makes more sense. Endure hardship as training. God is treating you as his children for what children are not trained by their father. If you are not trained and everyone undergoes training, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who trained us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They trained us for a little while as they thought best, but God trains us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. That essentially the author is saying to his audience, and maybe even to us today, that all those things that are happening to you, all that you are going through, if you don't give up, if you don't lose heart, God can use them for good. And we bristle at this because we still don't like the idea of that, that we want to believe that God's highest goal in life is to keep us safe and to keep us happy. We want him to be a snowplow parent, don't we? Fortunately for us, he has a much grander vision for our life than that. As a matter of fact, Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I'm not sure God wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we are like children, thinking our toys will make us happy and the whole world is our nursery. Something must be done to drive us out of that nursery and into the lives of others, and that something is suffering. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is that God created us for so much more than, than safe and happy. He created us for much bigger than that, for an abundant life. A life where we move beyond the nursery, where we go into the world and have an impact and make a difference. That we have to get beyond our comfort zone. But unfortunately, sometimes the only way we do that is through the struggle and through suffering. And the writer of Hebrews seems to agree. He continues by saying this. He says, no discipline, no training seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That he is saying that hardship and pain can be used to shape us into people who experience a harvest, an abundance of righteousness and peace. Now, I don't love those words. They're very churchy. And I don't think we really even understand what they mean. When I hear righteous, I think self-righteous. And I don't want to be that. But if we deep dive into these words, I think that we will discover that in fact, they speak to the deepest desires of our soul. That word righteous simply means rightness. Rightness with God and rightness with people. That's a sense of, of, of integrity, of character, of just being able to relate freely and, and comfortably in the world, in my skin. That, that we, we know what wrongness feels like. If you've ever experienced shame, what's that, what's that feel like? Shame feels like there's not, something not right about me, right? Doesn't it? There's something wrong with me. Or maybe you've been in a relationship 
And you can't put your finger on it, but something's not right here. See, that's what this righteousness is. It's that sense of being right with God and right with man. That what happens is as we go through something and as, as, as we are pressed in something, that what happens is, is, is as we suffer, as we struggle, as we experience pain and hardship, then, then the, some of the pretension is stripped away. Some of this garbage that, that, that we think is important is ripped away. And in that, we meet God and God reveals to us our true character and draws out even more character in us. And in doing that, we enter into more of a right standing between God and man that we're just better people. That as we allow God to do that, as we lean to him in the midst of our struggle, that we become people of integrity, people of courage, people of humility, and people of compassion. And that second word, peace, is simply this, this sense of safety and security regardless of circumstances. Who doesn't want that? This is an anxious world we live in, man. It is terrifying. There's stuff going on all the time, and man, anxiety is a regular part of my life. But that idea of peace, man, that is so attractive. But here's the challenge to achieving peace beyond circumstances is you have to walk through some hard, painful circumstances and have God get you through it and for you to get to the other side in order for circumstances not to scare you anymore. That when you're going through something, and again, you are being pressed, but you're not being crushed. When you, are being, when you are being pounded on, but not destroyed. When you get through the other side of that, and you realize that God is sufficient in all circumstances, that that hurt, that was hard. I didn't like that at all, but I made it. And in fact, I might even be better on the other side of it. See, what happens is when you go through that, circumstances don't scare you anymore. You may not like them. But you don't have to be afraid because God is sufficient in all circumstances. And so you end up with this abundance of righteousness and peace. And we all want that, don't we? Who doesn't want that? We just don't want it to have to hurt to get there, right? You would think, man, wouldn't a loving parent somehow find a way to get me there with me not having to go through that? There's a recent thought exercise did by a, a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, um, uh, and, I, and I think it's really fascinating. I'd encourage you to, to, to track with me here. He says, imagine that you're handed a script of your newborn child's entire life. Better yet, you're given an eraser and five minutes to edit out whatever you want. You read that she will have a learning disability in grade school, Reading, which comes easily for some kids, will be laborious for her. In high school, she will make a great circle of friends, then one of them will die of cancer. After high school, she will get into her preferred college, but while there, she'll lose a leg in a car crash. Following that, she will go through a difficult depression. A few years later, she'll get a great job, but then lose it to an economic downturn. She'll get married, but then go through the grief of separation. And he asked this series of questions. With this script of your child's life before you and five minutes to edit it, what would you erase? Wouldn't you want to take out all the stuff that would cause them pain? 
If you could erase every failure, disappointment, and period of suffering, would that be a good idea? Would that cause them to grow into the best version of themselves? And he concludes with this question. Is it possible that we actually need adversity and setbacks, maybe even crisis and trauma, to reach the fullest level of development and growth? Come on, people, you know this is true. We know it's true. We've experienced that we know it's true. We just don't like it. We know that if, you know, if we, if we want to get better, if we want to get stronger physically, we're going to have to go to the gym and it's going to hurt and we're going to go through pain. We know that and we know it's true emotionally and spiritually as well. In fact, there was a recent survey done when it came to what, what, what was the most uh, uh, contributive to spiritual growth and development. And hands down, the number one contributor to spiritual growth is suffering. The people said they grew more during seasons of loss, pain, and crisis than they did at any other time. And this has been my experience as a pastor for all these years, as a, as a Jesus follower for, for more years than that, that time and time again I've seen this to be true in the life of those I'm pastoring and in my life. That when I've looked to God in my pain, instead of getting angry or bitter or discouraged, he has done a deep and lasting work in me. And that's the big idea that I want us to grab onto today. The big idea today is this. Your current struggle is a temporary opportunity for God to give you a permanent gift. That your current struggle, whatever it is that you are going through, the loss, the hardship, the pain, whether it be physical, financial, relational, whatever it is, what you're going through is you are in a unique position. Number one, that's not going to last forever. There will be an end to it at some point. It is temporary in all cases. But in the midst of it, while you're in it, there is a unique opportunity for God to do something huge that will change you for the rest of your life. That in the midst of this, that you are, that you are going through this pain, that you come to the end of yourself. You strip away the pretension. You come to this desperate place where you can cry out for God. And not only can he, will he show up, but in showing up, he will reveal to you stuff about yourself and about him that you will have for the rest of your life. That it is a temporary opportunity for God to give you a permanent gift in the midst of it. That you're in a unique position when you're struggling, when you're going through hardship, for God to do a deep work in you that will transform the rest of your life. That he wants to give your suffering meaning. But you have to let him. You have to participate. Because the unfortunate truth is that not all pain and hardship automatically lead to a harvest of righteousness and peace. The writer of Hebrews says this. He said that God's training produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for whom? For those who have been trained by it. Not everybody, just those who have been trained by it. That you have to actually contribute. You have to submit yourself. You have to be, you have to be part of that. You ever been part of a, of a sports team or, or maybe part of a work team where there's training going on, but some people just weren't into it? 
They just went through the motions. Training was happening, but they were not benefiting from it because they weren't participating. They were checked out. See, and we have that same opportunity here. Is, is your hardship, your suffering can be pointless. It can be meaningless. It can make you worse instead of making it better. You get to choose that, that God is actively prepared to redeem your pain, your loss, and your hardship and use it as a seed for a harvest of righteousness and peace in your life. Or you can choose not to. You can go a completely different way. You can be angry. You can be bitter. You can give up, give in, ask why, and go to bed. But why would you want that? Let God use your temporary situation to give you a permanent gift. And I know that even as I say that, even as I talk about God as father and as parent, for some of you, that's tough. Because many of us didn't have perfect parents, did we? That you may have, may have had a parent that was, that was abusive or inconsistent or just flat out absent. I'm here to tell you today that, that's, that that isn't this. That God is the perfect parent. The parents are flawed people. We know that. That, that our parents didn't know what they were doing any more than, than we know what we're doing. And we, 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 we like to pretend when we become parents, we like to pretend that, well, I, I'm not going to do what my, kid, my, my, my parents did to me. Man, I'm not going to mess them up the way they messed me up. And in many cases, we're successful. We're successful in jacking our kids up in completely different and unique ways than we were jacked up, right? Because we're imperfect. Our parents were imperfect. We are imperfect. But God doesn't get it wrong. He is the perfect Father, and He loves you. And He understands what you are going through. See, even, even as a flawed parent, I want good things for my kids. That my wife and I, we are first generation, first generation Christians. We didn't grow up in the church or anything like that. And, and so we went through a lot to get to, to, to that point of following Jesus. And, and our kids are, are second generation Christians. And so it's, it's mostly all they ever knew. And they were good church kids, but they hadn't ever really like battled for their faith when they were young. They'd never really gone through what it takes to realize just the closeness and intimacy of God. And, 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 and so as parents, we want, we don't want good church kids. We wanted kids who knew who God was. And so we began to do some very, very dangerous prayers. We began to pray to God, God, we want our kids to know that. We want our family to be better. So allow into our life whatever is going to take for us to have that experience with you. Not more than it's going to take, but just enough. Whatever that's going to be. And because he's faithful, and because he loves us, he showed up. And we went through the most painful and difficult season in the life of our family. And it was a long time. That it was marked by marital discord, there was a, there was a uh, nervous breakdown, and it culminated in a Christmas in rehab. It was hard, and it was painful. But in it, God showed up 
and in showing up in the midst of our pain and our struggle and just we, we had to look at ourselves different, we had to look at God differently, that he was just so sweet to us, so present in a way that, that if, if you've not gone through struggle and suffering, you don't understand, but in the midst of it, man, God can be so present and in that, he began to, to, to change us. He began to change how we see him and one another. And he began to give us these gifts that continue to this day. Not only do they influence our life to this day, but they continue to go out to those that we influence. That he gave us these gifts. Because God met us in our suffering, it was a transformative experience for our family. Here's the last thing I want you to hold on to today. Just a question I would love for you to walk around with, for, especially if you're struggling here today. That if I, an imperfect parent, wanted more for my kids than just being good kids, how much more does your perfect father want to do in your life? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you are, in fact, a perfect father. God, I thank you that, that the question of your love has been resolved, that Jesus laid that out for us. And, and we know that, that through him you understand the pain that we're going through. And some people today are just at the edge, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you remind them that you've been there and that you are with them in it. God, I am sorry that imperfect parents have, have kind of mushed with our idea of who you are. I pray that you just strip that away and let us just consider the reality of your action in our life and the truth that you've demonstrated your love, you have demonstrated your faithfulness. And if you invite us into a deeper Jesus, there's nothing we want more than that. Pray blessing on each person here, on each person who is hearing the sound of my voice, that they may be able to turn to you and to know you in the midst of whatever they're going through. God, may we, may we walk with that today and every day. In Jesus' name.